HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Kane5.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good afternoon and welcome to Straight No Chaser on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer, and we are broadcasting live from Roberta's at 261 Moore Street in Bushwick, Brooklyn, where brunch is now being served. Today, uh, my guest is on the phone. His name is Peter Pringle. Um, He is the editor of the Participant Guide for A Place at the Table, the recently released documentary about hunger in America. Uh, but for the last, but for the prior prior thirty years, Peter was a correspondent for the Sunday Times, the Observer, and the Independent, working in Europe, Africa, the Middle East, and the former Soviet Union, as well as the United States. He's also written for several U.S. newspapers and magazines, including the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Atlantic, and the New Republic. Among his many books, the most recent, besides this project, is Experiment Eleven about the discovery of streptomycin. Um, and before that, he was on this program for the murder of Nikolai Vavilov, um, which was all about uh, seed saving and. Seed banks. Um, Food Inc., he also did the participant guide for that movie, um, as well as Day of the Dandelion, and those are real bullets. Welcome to the program, Peter. It's great to have you back. How are you? Hi, Katie. Good to see you. Good to hear you. um, Just one quick thing. I I wasn't actually the producer of the Food Inc. book, but I had an essay in it. Oh, you had an essay in it. Oh, for some reason I thought you would edit it, as well as as this one. Um, So I guess my question is first is like, how do you get into a project like this? When When they make a documentary, do they commission a book to go with? it? I mean, wh- how did you get involved in these things? Well, they make the documentary, and then they, <clears throat> when they finish, they um, f- try and find somebody who will um, put together a book in three months. Mm. <laughs> um, and that would be you, being as how you're used to working <laughs> on deadlines. So. That was me this time around, that's right. <laughs> Lucky you. <laughs> I know, I know. And, and the documentary is great, I have to say that. Uh, please go and see it. You know, oh, yeah. It's one, everybody I haven't seen it, it yet, but I, where is it? Where is it playing? Well, it's on at the Sunshine and also at Lincoln Center, I think. Oh, okay. I'm right near Lincoln Center, so I definitely will go yeah. to that. Maybe I'll do it this afternoon. Um, so, when you do these literary companions, like how how does that um, 
how did you decide what to include and what to exclude, I guess? Or you get the people to write their essay, the people who have been interviewed, or, I mean, some of them were really very um, erudite and others were just kind of anecdotal. It was kind of, it was an interesting mix. And it, and it brought, the way you put it together made it a really sort of full picture, which I liked a lot about it. Having not seen the movie yet, I, it was very um, comprehensive to me. Well, you know, we, we were able, of course, we're able to do things which the um, movie people can't do. We can go back into history and yeah. we can... Um, have discussions, and we can have, um, you know, personal stories um, of many people, whereas they can only have three or four or something like that. Um, so basically, it, it is based on the movie. So we have uh, most of the people um, out of the 20 essayists or something who are actually um, in the book um, had something to say in the movie. Uh-huh. Um, but we were able to take it further, um, forwards and backwards, and I guess uh, uh, one that comes to mind is Marion Nessel, who's the famous New York. Oh, University we love Marion here. Nutritionist. She's, she She's is been a on regular your show many program. Times, I yes, guess. she has indeed. Um, and um, you know, so in the movie, she comes on and she says, um, "Do you realize that uh, the, the reason that people are eating this um, uh, junk food these days is because the cost since 1980, the cost of fresh vegetables." has increased by 40%, and the cost of processed foods has declined by 40%. Mm-hmm. And the result is that, you know, someone who has a limited amount of money uh, to spend on food, they're going to pick the cheapest calories, and those are to be found in processed foods. But then we can take it, you know, onwards and upwards and downwards and roundabout and say, you know, how did this, how did we get to this point, and how many calories are we actually consuming now compared with what we consumed in 1970, right. etc. So we just broaden it, basically. And, and is that what you do as the editor? Is that how you... you know, I you ask would... them to do that, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, part, partly that. I, I partly pick pieces which either I've seen they've already written or ask them to extend it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a lot of fun. And I learned an enormous amount, I must say, myself on this, because although I know, know a bit about agriculture and biotech foods and stuff like that, I, I just didn't know anything about this aspect of it. Well, I think most of us didn't. I mean, since that um, sort of seminal documentary was produced in, the, I guess it was the 70s, Hunger in America. Is that right? Um, yes. I think that was the uh, last time we in looked Michael at Michael Harrington's book. Yes. The Other America, and then, then there was a CBS documentary. Yeah. And then 20 years later, there's another documentary <laughs> done, by, done by Jeff Bridges. It seems to run in cycles, and that was during the Reagan administration. Yes. And, and the that's... cuts, welfare cuts there. And here we are. Um, you know, the post-Great Recession, we're back again. Yeah, I know. I think it's fascinating. I mean, to me, that was the most interesting aspect of the book were the essays that dealt with things like the um, sociopolitical aspects of of hunger and what what really has, um, you know, the fact that we almost beat hunger back in the 70s. Um, right. And then when the Reagan administration came in and made all those cuts to benefits, um, that sort of sp- continued so to spiral. And then with the recession, it became that much worse. That's right. So that's right. So, so then, then we, you know, we, you come full circle every, every twenty years, as I say, basically. Um, but I'm, you know, I mean, I was able also to pick out um, certain things that weren't in the film uh-huh. um, and expand on those. Um, they mentioned food deserts, for example. Yes. Um, those things that exist. Uh, some people say in our minds, but actually they're reality. And if you 
you know, live in a city and you can't find a store within a mile that sells a banana or fresh produce, then you're in a food desert. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting the way that was uh, totally broken down so that you really did understand why it was called a food desert. Yeah, Because that's people right. can't get there. They no, you can't. And, you know, uh, we produce 10 billion pounds of apples uh, each year in this country and some people just can't find one. Yeah, which is um, just amazing. I mean, yeah. you know, especially since we live in New York and, you know, there's a, a, wor- a wealth of, of bounty for most of us. But even in New York City, I think there, it's pretty clear that there are some serious food deserts. Yeah. Um, but I thought the thing that was really compelling to me about that chapter was um, was kind of imagining if you lived in a smaller rural area and you were literally driving 45 minutes each way. Well, this is, this is what you'll see in the film. And it's done very well in the film because they go down to Mississippi mm-hmm. and, um, you know, the poorest state, et cetera, yeah. um, which has the highest rates of obesity and uh, food insecurity. And you have to hop in a car, if you happen to have one, You're right. um, to go 45 minutes to the nearest supermarket where you will find a banana or a, if you're lucky, you know. <laughs> right, or a head um, of lettuce, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was... It's, um, I, but I also thought that well, um, one of the one one of the things I didn't know about, and one something that surprised me, um, well, I guess two things. Uh, the first is that um, the amount of charity that is in operation for emergency food supplies, yeah. and secondly, what it doesn't cover. Uh-huh. Um, for example, <clears throat> you know, you have. Uh, I think the figures are something like 3.3 billion pounds of food um, are given out to 37 million people uh, by the largest charity in America, which is called Feeding America. Mm-hmm. Um, and it used to be called Second Harvest. That's probably what people remember it by before it went very big. Mm. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, as Joel Berg points out, that only covers one-fifteenth of the emergency food that is given to people who are on food stamps and in low income. Or right. to, put it, to put it another way, as Andy Fisher did um, in his essay, that if you multiply what they give out by six, it'll only cover uh, one week per month in the year. Oh, my gosh. Um, so everything else, has to be, everything else has to be provided by the government. Yeah. And that's why you have... Uh, right now, a crisis, as we put it in the subtitle, of you know, 49 million people. Actually, it's just gone up to 50 uh, million people who um, there are 47 million people on food stamps, and then there are three who are not actually on food stamps, but they're eligible for food stamps. So you just call it around 50 million. You yeah, know, if you think of and, and a great majority of that is children, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was really shocking. Actually, Joel Berg's essay was my favorite one in the book. How about you? Did you have a favorite? Um, I can't say that, can no. I? <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> don't want to, don't want, want to offend any of my twenty. Well, no, I mean they were all terrific, but I mean, uh, you know, it was it no, was it was it was terrific, and uh, you know, he goes back and he says, I mean, he's making the case for this is a government problem, right? And uh, he says, you know, I mean, we used to have typhoid and we used to have cholera, and um, uh, and uh, the government got rid of it. Yeah. So now we have hunger, and if it's seen as it should be, first of all, it should be you should have a right to food, in my view. And secondly, you know, uh, the government clearly has an obligation to make sure that people are not hungry. Um, and so it's a public health problem. Yes, that's it turns what I very see. quickly into a public health problem 
um, when if you start eating the wrong food because those, those are the only one that's all you can afford. Yeah, uh, you become obese. And then you really have a public health problem. Well, I think that's, I mean, to me, that was the takeaway of this, of the whole project. Now, again, I haven't seen the movie, but just reading the book was that <clears throat> this is truly a public health problem. And um, kind of like, you know, the way the government made us all wear seatbelts, um, right. you know, people should be entitled to or should be really almost obligated to eat well um, because it costs us a hell of a lot of money to deal with it otherwise. I mean, if well, you want to look at it just from the, not even a humanitarian point of view, but just from a nuts and bolts economics point of view. Yeah, well, the figure they put on it is $170 billion in a year. A year? Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, that's staggering. And it's insane. I know. I know. I know. And, it, and, and, and it's cruel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just like... It's... And, and, you know, when, when you go to this... this uh, so... So what is anybody doing about it, you might ask. So, yes, I um, do ask. <laughs> so every, every five years, Congress is, you know, for example, reauthorizes the Child Nutrition Act, which yes. determines the funding and guidelines for school meals, breakfast, lunch, and after meals. Summer and also programs, et cetera. Vacation yeah. meals, right? Yeah. Uh, so the last time they did this was in 2010. Yeah. And there's, there are congressional hearings, and these, um, <clears throat> you know, People, uh, if they turn up, if they turn up to the congressional committee, um, uh, you know, listen to some very compelling and emotional testimony. Uh, for example, you know, from the top down, Tom Vilsack. It was the last time he appeared. He's Secretary of Agriculture. Yes, and he said, you know, in a country as strong and as rich and as powerful as ours, we have youngsters who are going hungry. What's going on? Yeah, and. You know, it's one of the reasons why Harry Truman established the school lunch program in 1946. Yes. Uh, because he recognized that, you know, if we're going to have a strong country, we have to have strong youth. Yes. Um, but, uh, and so they were then advocating, and Tom Galicchio, who's one of the producers of the film, he's, mm -hmm. the, he's the top chef person and on television, and he's also, uh, you know, he owns Kraft in New York. Sure, we know Tom. Um, <laughs> and... He's, he's a terrific advocate for increasing the nutritional value of school meals. Yes, and he's um, not alone amongst his chefly brethren, by the way. That's right. <laughs> exactly. And so anyway, so, so up he gets at the congressional hearing, and he says, you know, um, this is really ridiculous. We, you're, actually, if you cut out all the, it's $2.76 a person, whatever that mm -hmm. small tiny prices, and by the time you take taken everything away, people bringing it, taking it away, washing it up, and all the rest of it. Uh, it's about, you know, it's, it's a few cents per meal. It's about and, 98 cents now, and, it, and right. that was a rise from 92 cents um, right. before they reauthorized this. But anyway, yeah. go ahead. Keep so going. anyway, so, so, the, so he's, ma he's making the case, as did others, uh, that what you've got to do is to increase the nutritional value. Right. And so they say, oh, yes, well, we can do that. Well, wait a minute. Um, uh, let's see. How much do you want? So, well, you know, if you were going to make a proper meal of it, as it were, uh, how about $4.5 for the next five years? Yeah, I think we can do that. Can we do that? You know, Senator, Congressman, can we do that? Yes, yes, of course. Well, well wait a minute, wait a minute. It has to be paid for. So where are we going to get the money from? Oh, well, let's just take it out of food stamps. Right. And yeah. that's what they did. Yeah, that was astonishing. That's what they did. Yeah, took it out of food stamps. Great. So then the, the kids that were at home who aren't in school yet or mom and dad, they go hungry instead of the children. Yeah. And, and still the kids, the meals in schools, <clears throat> excuse me, are, 
are still pretty subpar unless, you know, it's in a particular school that has embraced the idea of bringing in chefs and and has re- retrofitted their, uh, you know, their kitchen to supply themselves with some, um, you know, cooking equipment, for instance, right. you know, with burners instead of just deck ovens. And, That's right. Uh, you know, That's and, right. and, as, you know, as Jan Poppendy um, points out in her piece about the ABCs of school lunch, you know, um, there are uh, you know, 5.7 billion of um, uh, lunches every year and two thirds of them are free and greatly reduced prices. Yeah. Uh, to, um, but then there are others who, you know, um, slip round the back where the school, in order to make money for, to make the lunches, because the, uh, you know, the, it's costly and they don't, and maybe they're not being allocated enough by the local authority. Right. Um, they're making money out of selling junk food. Yeah. To kids who can afford it. Right. Well, hence the vending machine issue. And the vending schools. machine. Yeah, issue. I mean exactly. that the way when those came in, that was just sort of the you know <laughs> that was one of the death knells to sort of nutritional. No, no, um, no, it's hopeless. Of, yeah, it's bad. Anyway, Peter, we must take a very short break okay. um, for a sponsor drop. Please stay on the phone with me, and um, we'll be right back with Peter Pringle, sure. the editor of um, the Comp- companion guide to A Place at the Table. This one's called Crying Blues by the California Honey Drops on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery. Thank you for listening to this show. In our industrial world of highly processed food and wine, we support the values of Heritage Radio Network. All of us at Cane encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything you eat and drink. For more information, visit Cane5.com. Welcome back to Straight No Chaser on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer, and my guest on the phone is Peter Pringle, uh, the editor of the Participants' Guide for A Place at the Table, the recently released documentary about hunger in America. Um, Peter, one of the things that, um, after I you know, finished reading the book... Um, you know, there were a lot of recipes, you know, I, I'll use that food metaphor. There were a lot of recipes for improving the lot of the hungry, but um, they all seemed predicated on making decisions about those improvements at the legislative level. And it was Joel Berg's essay, which, you know, was particularly compelling on that level. And I, you know, much as I, and I see this actually all throughout the food movement. Um, I see, you know, a lot of people talking about what should, shoulda, coulda, woulda, um, and yet, without that legislative body uh, coming along for the ride, as it were, um, it doesn't seem like anything can ever really change. So what, what, how did you feel at the end of this? Do you feel like this documentary is going to raise enough awareness to really push people to you know, force Congress to authorize more than a six cents rise in, in the Child Nutrition Act or you know, take the funding from someplace other than SNAP benefits? I mean, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of uh, daunting. I know it is daunting it's uh, and very depressing of course there is um in the movie there is uh, uh Marion uh Nestle who addresses this problem and um then uh, also there's witnesses to hunger the group um started by Mariana Chilton in uh, right in uh, Philadelphia and um she took um mothers who were 
uh, single mums who were on food stamps or had just got off them and still experiencing problems, and <clears throat> as voices to Congress, took them up to Congress and said, you know, here's what it's like to live on food stamps. Wasn't she the one who put the 30 cameras, 30 yeah, little video right. cameras, that's into right. the hands right. of these so women gave, who right. were she struggling? Gave 30 cameras. And, and it was absolutely terrific um, operation, and she mm-hmm. put them all on the bus, took them up to Congress, and, and um, they had an exhibition uh, of their pictures that they'd taken. Um, and, you know, it's that's what it's about, basically. You be a squeaky wheel, you know, and and give a voice to the people who don't have one. Yeah. Uh, that's really the only way this is going to change. And And the most impressive voice, I think, for politicians, having spent 10 years in Washington at one point, are the ones who are actually affected by these programs rather than the lobbyists uh-huh. who go... Um, <clears throat> because, you know, that always tends to get a bit lost in large documents that they never read. You know? <laughs> um, yes. uh, so they don't, I think well, some of them are functionally illiterate I don't myself. know, but anyway, they don't read it. We know that. <laughs> yeah, um, so if you know. actually have a person there who says, you know, I'm on food stamps and I can't do it. It's, yeah. not, it's not credible. It's, it doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, you have to do something about it. So that's the, that's the way to go, really. I guess it is. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, it's a great idea, but I, I, I know that plenty of people, including um, that project with Marion Chilton, uh, you know, has have taken the case to Congress. And yet somehow when the, um, you know, when the vote comes up, when the budget is discussed, um, you know, the idea that people are hungry just doesn't seem to register. And the cost of that of the diseases that are related to being hungry, and they not—they are not just exclusively about being obese or having no. diabetes. I mean, they include like basic, you know, things. I mean, maybe not quite scurvy, but sort of borderline, you know, nutritional deficiencies that do affect the development of the brain of a child, for instance. That's right. That's right. And you know, you want uh, there's a, there's all this talk in Congress about how you know the youth has to be, um, you know, we want to be the first forever and blah blah blah, and yet there's absolutely nothing um that would translate into action um in, in my opinion to what they're That's doing right. That's right. i mean one sort of jolt can come from taking it out of the context that we're talking about i.e america and say in the rest of the world what's going on you know yeah how do they cope well um you know the answer is that they are all thinking about in the developing world what's the way of putting agricultural policies with um, economic and social policies and coming up with some answer that will cope with um, how to, um, you know... How to get nutritional food. How to to get nutritional food to the 870 million who suffer from hunger every day outside of America, to the half a billion who are obese and susceptible to non-communicable diseases. And I was fascinated the other day to see, because I get the UN Food and Agriculture press releases and Mm -hmm. things. And there was a headline. It said, world not coping as well as it should with change in diets. Wait a minute. What's all this about? Yeah, good question. Um, Well, and they were looking to fund a project of the university in the Netherlands to study the impact of agricultural policies and economic policies and health policies all together. So put the whole thing together. So we need, basically, an integrated nutritional strategy uh-huh. Uh, formed with the input as the, I think he was the head of the that particular section anyway, I think he said formed with the imp- inputs of 
society as a whole, you know, private sector, consumers, doctors, consumer organizations, um, large corporations, get them all together. Um, because otherwise we're not going to solve this problem. It doesn't, it's not solved by giving huge subsidies to large farmers uh, large, uh, agric- in, in the agricultural bill, and farm bill. No. It just it hasn't worked. The market did not take over. Um, so really, I suppose, you know, as Marion Nestle sometimes says, you know, we need a Department of Food Policy. Yes. We don't have one. We no. have an agriculture uh, department, and then it does all the food stamps, it does all the subsidies, it does, you know, this, that, and the other thing. But it's not related to health. Clearly, because otherwise they wouldn't have been funding corn, you know, food that would then be processed into junk food and make us sick. Well, the thing about the USDA, um, which I, you know, in the course of the last four years, I've done so much reading about our food system. um, And I just I feel like uh, much like the FDA, they're kind of a paper tiger. Um, They cave to the strongest interests. They are very susceptible to lobbying by large corporations, hence our various, uh, you know, subsidies for things like corn, soybeans, etc. And, um, you know, when we talk about bringing um, large corporations into the fold for, you know, I feel like the large corporations are in a large measure driving a lot of the food choices and food policy that we already have. And even though I don't see how we can resolve our issues without involving large food corporations, I also um, am very reluctant to accord them a big say in what happens. Don't you feel that way? No, absolutely. In fact, if you look at um, the charities that are involved here, the way the, the way they get their produce they're, they are donations from the food industry. Yes, and that's why so much of the food that, that people see in food banks is not all that nutritious. I mean, I've been this that's right. winter, I did a lot of work in a food bank. And, um, you know, we were very lucky. Uh, the woman who ran the program, Christy Robb, does an amazing job of sourcing fresh produce, and she really does do an amazing job. Right. But, the, but the bulk of the donations are, you know, are highly processed foods. That's and correct. That's, and and, the, and the, the people who sit on the boards of these outfits, um, and I'm thinking of the largest now, Feeding America, are food industry people. Yeah, like guys from Cargill, from ConAgra. Yeah. Like those people, yeah. And it's, from- and it, and it's it, um, you know, every time they donate a can, they get a tax write-off. Yes. So why not, why <laughs> not, tax, why not tax them and have government, you know, redistribute that wealth for a can of beans um, and uh, grow instead of tomato? Yes. Know? I'm I'm totally there. Well, you know, I want to I want you to come back. Unfortunately, we have to wrap this up in a couple of minutes. Um, okay. So I want I want to give you a chance to um, talk about your website and tell people where they can buy the book and you know if you're doing any you know other promotion with it, etc. And all that oh, kind of stuff. So um, um, this is your moment to to self promote like mad. Well, that's extremely <laughs> kind of you. I'll do it as fast as I can because uh, you know <coughs> it's it's and self deprecating Brits don't do this kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyway, yes, of course you can buy the book. Anyway, so glad I can uh, and all the stores on Amazon.com, and um, uh, we hope you will. Um, and uh, to, let's see, what else can you see? I am hopeless at it. Okay, oh, well, my, my website, peterpringleauthor.com. Yes, and then you can see what other wonderful books Peter has written, and if you haven't read but the other, But the other thing is, do go see the movie. That's my main message. Yes. Well, um, we- you'll be completely shocked by it. It's a very beautiful movie, as, a, as well as a shocking movie. And it'll make you think more and it'll make you want to know more. And then you can 
um, buy the book. <laughs> right, and then you and the book, by the way, we should mention has a huge list of NGOs, non governmental operator organizations that um, that you can participate in, donate to, uh, et cetera, et cetera. In fact, we had uh, Gary Oppenheimer on a couple weeks ago for Ample Harvest, which is right. one of those organizations that you know sort of gets food from people's back gardens into food right. pantries, which I thought was a fantastic idea. Yeah. Um, the one thing I didn't get to ask you, and I'm going to just go over for a second here, but one of the essays which I really liked was the essay on mergers. And this was, oh, a, sort yeah. of a, this was a little note of hope, and I want to close the program with this. Um, <laughs> Robert Egger suggested that all of these philanthropic organizations, and, and he meant all of them, not just ones related That's to food, right. but all of them collaborate and consolidate and use their numbers and their money as ways to tip funding and legislation in the right direction. Can you just like flesh that out for just a second? Yeah, so very quickly. So he started idea. the DC Central Kitchen and, and oh, um right, yeah. And this was, you know, I don't know, many years ago. But anyway, and they then he empowered the homeless people who came into the kitchen and gave them a job and yeah. made them into cooks. And it became very successful and their models elsewhere have been it's been copied elsewhere. Um but he too saw that charity can't end hunger. So uh, his latest idea is that you, uh, a grand merger of all nonprofits to create a new world of sustainable philanthropy um, that would, as he quotes, um, completely redesign the machine. Now, um, <clears throat> I must be slightly wary of people who say things like that, but, <laughs> but uh, what does like he mean? Idea, kind of, some kind of revolution he's talking about. Um, but anyway, you know, nonprofits, and then, he's, then he cites the figures which make it. Uh, seems that it might even be possible. So nonprofits has, have the keys, and they employ 10% of the workforce. Right. They have 80 million volunteers, um, and all of us who are parents know that, you know, at some point our uh, offspring have been, you know, volunteers. Um, some, some of them still are unpaid and all the rest of it, in, interns, what have you. But anyway, they're the biggest employer in, employer in America. So he says merge the banking business that's in, involved. That's merge what I like. marketing liked. power. Yeah. Uh, reward the companies that uh, are good companies and green companies and pay a decent minimum wage. And let's have a boycott, not a boycott. That's what basically he says in a nutshell. Yeah, I loved it. I thought that was great, and I think people should think about that. And it may never happen, but it's it does let you know that there is. I mean, in numbers, we are you know people are more powerful, and right. to to look at things as like, well, what can I do? What if I you know if I do this, nothing's going to change. But I think that thinking about collaborating and having organizations pool their That's resources right. is a really great idea, and yeah. I hope more people do it. Because there and are call so your many. congressman. <laughs> yeah, call your congressman, exactly. Well, Peter, thank you ever so much for joining me today, and um, I really hope you'll come back soon. I'd love to talk to you about your new book. Well, I'd love to talk to you about it. About streptomycin, because yeah. I, I've been doing a lot of programming around antibiotics in the food chain. And okay, I have no, it's a terrific subject. Yeah, terrific I, subject. I have the feeling that you have much to say on this. So um, thank you to my sponsor, Kane Winery, and thanks to my wonderful engineer, Jack. Thank you, Peter Pringle, for joining me. This thank has you, been Kate. another fabulous episode of Straight No Chaser on the Heritage Radio Network. Join me next week for an as-yet-undetermined guest, but I guarantee it'll be a fun time. Thanks for listening, folks. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. 
Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>